0: The Internet History Podcast is brought to you by MetaLab. Their slogan is MetaLab, we make interfaces. For a decade, MetaLab has helped some of the world's top companies and entrepreneurs build products that millions of people use every day. You probably didn't realize it at the time, but the odds are you've used an app that they've helped design or build. Apps like Slack, Coinbase, Facebook Messenger, Oculus, Lonely Planet, and many more. MetaLab wants to bring their unique design philosophy to your project, let them take your brainstorm and turn it into the next billion-dollar app, from ideas sketched on the back of a napkin to a final shipped product. Check them out at metalab.co. That's metalab.co. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Dan Macarone is a digital design veteran. Websites, products, strategy. In this episode, he shares some unique design lessons. He's got some amazing stories about the dot-com bubble, about the aftermath and the rise of Web 2.0. And he also shares the story of the birth of Hulu, which I don't think anyone has really covered anywhere before quick note that we did have a recording issue about halfway through hopefully it won't be too noticeable but thank you to dan Macaron for this great conversation dan Macaron, thanks for coming on the internet history podcast it's
1: great to be here thanks for having me
0: yeah by the way i apologize i feel like this is a year in the making we've been trying to do this for a while now but i'm glad we finally did um well you've had you've had on so many
1: people I know and that I I've, I've worked with, so it's always uh it's actually a privilege to be a part of it.
0: Well fantastic. I I I, I take anyone that has a, an interesting story to tell. So um let let's let's do the the sort of the usual bona fides at the beginning. Um I think you I think you and I are almost the same age. I just turned forty one last week. Um but it looks forty two. Forty two, there you go. So um We'll get to this in a second. We both came out of college right in the middle of the dot-com bubble. But you you went to school originally, like I did, actually, uh, for English, or, although maybe you were English in performing arts. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So um, did you have sort of a nerdy tech childhood at all, or um, what, what What was it that you thought you were going to be doing when you first went to college?
1: That's funny. I I, I don't think of it as a nerdy tech childhood though computers were certainly a part of it since i was probably kind of want to say six years old or seven you know think about like the 80s when the apple 2e and apple 2c came out that was the first experience i had with computers and my friends and i were on Montessori school and we we just like gravitated towards playing games on it even writing programs um like 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 weird like programs you could download to a floppy disk and we we're in grade school um but i wasn't i i was i was much more in the line of like i'm gonna be a writer you know i'm gonna write fiction i'm gonna be a novelist and um
0: that was me too were, that was me too and then right? i evolved because of tarantino i evolved into oh i'm gonna be a screenwriter <laughs>
1: Oh man, I, I that came much later for me. Uh but but yeah, Tarantino was a great inspiration from from like you can do this in movies this is amazing. Um I just wanted to I wanted to um I wanted to, like write children's books, you know, I wanted to be a playwright. And it didn't matter, I just wanted to write. And um creating things on online um seemed or or on the computer seemed tangential to it. But what's funny about that is that I, you know, when I was in about fifth grade, I think, my friends and I started our school newspaper um, and we did it by having, there was a program on Apple two C's I think called the newsroom that let you like lay out a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so we all, like I was the publisher or the editor, I forget. And we had a staff of people that we created uh, that, we, that we hired and, and hired meaning you know, got to volunteer for us. We were all fifth graders and fourth graders um, and laid out the newspaper ourselves and that was, you know, the closest thing you do to doing something online was, was designing a print product and then, you know, printing it out and, and Xeroxing it. Um, so I guess that, like, design aspect of things has been part of my life the whole time. But nothing, none of that really uh, culminated into online until I went to college and realized, you know, th- the true story is that I didn't want to get a job, a summer job in college. And um, my uh, my mom wanted me to get a job at Walmart. And... Uh, I did not want to work for Walmart, and it wasn't because I'm a snob. In uh, and and any way, I just I just didn't want to like I didn't want to work at a, at a at a store. I wanted to have a little more freedom. And a friend of mine had a print guide to Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. I'm, I'm from Boston, and uh, he he needed to, to do sales for him. And so my, my my mom wanted me to work for Walmart. And so what I realized was that I had to take a drug test. To get this job at walmart <laughs> walmart and uh and i'm not a big pot smoker like i've always like, been like a, a wine drinker and whatever but but um or i, I, I drink drinking is my vice not not pot but uh but i, I did, did smoke pot occasionally and i had just smoked pot and i was like i can't take this drug just i'm gonna fail and my mom's like well you got to figure that out and i was like i'm gonna figure it out by not going to go walmart and uh and so i went to my friend's magazine job and uh whatever it was a guy job and what we realized quickly was that this, this guide, it was called the University Guide in Boston, and it published uh, menus and then like coupons to shops in Boston. And we, um, my, another friend of mine who worked there, and I realized very quickly that it was garbage. Like, we would take it from the mailbox they got at Harvard and throw it in the garbage. But the cool thing about it was that there were menus, and we used to with the menus on the Internet. And so our boss is like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No one uses the Internet. And we were like, well... As college students, we all have we all have uh internet in our rooms and at two in the morning you don't know where the pizza menu is, but if I can get online, that'd be great. And so he said to us, Well, if you want to go do that as part of this, fine, you can own it. Um and I'll set up the server for you. And so we uh we went out and sold the um the menus to restaurants for like ten dollars a month and and immediately, you know, we had about a thousand restaurants within three months that we were selling uh, to put their menus online. And that lasted for like a year or so before we, uh, we got rid of the company.
0: And what was the site? And
1: it was called citybuzz.com. Mm. Um, and let me tell you something. The one thing that we did not know was actually how to build a website. And so <laughs> after selling all these restaurants that we were going to put their menus up, we we're like, oh, we have to actually do this. And we ended up creating a dynamic, uh, a website that was based off of Microsoft Access um, so a friend of ours who like did band websites in Boston and, uh, and like it was this dynamic website in 1995 or 96 that, uh, that was, that was basically populating all these menus. Um, it was such a, like we didn't even know that we were doing something that most people didn't do at the time. Cause it's dynamic, you know, probably in the database in 1995 apparently wasn't a thing. Um, but it was, it seemed much easier than coding a thousand pages from scratch.
0: Um, then you did go, um, for a little while apparently to, um, Columbia to, to study journalism, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I went from after studying, uh, performing arts and English, I went to college, I uh, grad school for journalism. Um, I think I only got in because I, I studied new media there and, it was like, you know, it was like 98, so the dot-com boom was was rising, and um, Columbia had just started a new center for new media, and so I was concentrating in new media at J-School, uh, and I did really want to be a journalist. I did really want to be a writer, and, and I didn't think that my future was in product design or UX. I really thought I was going to be in journalism. Um, ended up actually doing an internship for the New York Times, and which led to a job offer of them to be an editor there um in tech and uh and entertainment for their syndication department. Um and then, you know, things took a different turn which which surprised me in the world of UX. But um uh, you know, I can't I can't uh your former guest, uh Elizabeth Oster actually got me that job at the Times and then and then actually tore me away from the Times to uh, the dark, the dark world of um, of consulting. Uh, when we went to IXL together, and started in the world of um, product design.
0: Well, explain that detour then. How how did you go to the what did you call it the dark side or the dark world? Whatever, explain the detour. <laughs> I, could be
1: both of those, I guess. Yeah, I think it's in the dark world. But yeah, um, so I got this job at the Times. Like you know, when you're a, a J School student and the New York Times offers you an internship, you take that. And my job was working on kind of designing the site for the Times and the news service and the syndicate. And, um, and it's awesome, like, it was such a small team and at the time, and so they offered me this job to come up on basically one day a guy who had edited technology articles for the news service or for the syndicate had left. And the president of the the syndicate was like, we need someone to to edit tech articles. And she was like, Dan, you know something about tech. Do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, I do. Sure. And um, so I took the job. So when I graduated and then Osdor was like, well, I went, I left the times and I went to work for IXL and we think you'd be a really good candidate to be an information architect. And I didn't know what that was at the time. I, I'd never heard of it as far as well, I knew. Well, like, actually, I was a designer.
0: just on the off chance that that is uh, jargon to certain listeners, uh, what is an information architect? Good question.
1: So an information architect, or an IA at the time, as they were known, uh, is someone who basically is creating the blueprints, or at the time was known as someone who created blueprints for the website. So if you think of it in the terms of like a house, you have an architect who would lay out the overall specs for what you're going to make and give you kind of a a wireframe or a blueprint of how the house is going to be organized, what the size of the rooms are going to be, um, you know, how many floors it's going to be, how that will, what the measurements are, uh, even to what the design is. Uh, In some cases, you know, architects and information architects will will show you how your site is going to function without actually kind of putting that veneer of beauty on top of it. And that's not a discount to design, which does a lot more than that but we're really showing you things how things are going to work before the thought goes into what this is going to look like uh, and it was a very easy at the time and I, I didn't respect it by the way I should have when I first heard of it because I have been doing what I considered design work and I've been coding and doing information architecture all at the same time well, realizing that i'm a terrible designer uh and still am and shouldn't be allowed to open photoshop or, or sketch to do that kind of stuff and uh and i'm not a great coder i, I can understand coding but i'm not uh, a particularly gifted coder and so um i walked into this interview actually with a portfolio that was so embarrassing to think about now but i walked in with this like portfolio of sites i had done in you know the, the mid 90s because after we got rid of city buzz we, we became consultants and did you know, a bunch of um, independent websites uh, and then and then stuff I had done in grad school. And um, I, the person who was, a, was to my boss looked at it and was like, you should really become an information, you, an information architect. You really understand how flows work and how people use the Internet without saying, you know, to her credit, without saying, but your design is, is terrible. Um, and anyways, I got this job. And um, what I realized and the reason why I took the job is twofold. cold. One is that it paid more, and I had student loans to pay off. And two was that information architecture to me and now user experience, I guess is what it's known as, is the core of a lot of products. It defines how things are going to be coded. It defines how things are going to be designed, and it defines really or translates the strategy of the business into an experience. And, and to me, that's what this is all about. It's like I want to make things that are – solving a problem and then I want to solve that problem in my head from a strategic standpoint first, but then I wanna actually, you know, draw that. And well, it's, that, it's, that was really attractive to me.
0: It's it's the core it's design at the core of products where everything is malleable, you know, like in, in actual tangible physical world products, you're working with um, physical materials, but in a digital space, like design is so core to everything. Even like you're saying, um, you know, uh uh, business models or, or anything like that. Like so in a digital world, like it's all design in a sense. Yeah,
1: that's, that's totally true. And I I think at the cusp of this of my like transition in my career at that point, I was just starting to realize that. And um and you know, to to fully kinda of answer your question, uh I ended up taking that job and and being the total I don't I hope I can swear on this I, I was a total sure. asshole. Yeah, go ahead. Um because I um I was 22, was graduating from Columbia and turned down the New York times, which I think made me a pariah in my class because, you know, like who doesn't go to J school and want to work for the New York times. And I was like, no, um, I'm going to take this job. And, um, and uh, instead I actually became editor at large for the syndicate for about five years doing freelance work for them. Um, But, but, but more importantly, went into this job and went to what you said, like learned that design is, is the core of product and and um, really cut my teeth on understanding, you know, how strategy, how user research, how user behavior and and business strategy need to work together. Um, maybe in my, maybe in my career for better or worse, you know, understand that those are not the same thing and you really have to find a way to squit, uh, fit that square peg into a round hole um, to create something that's going to be successful, and I, I definitely like at, at IXL, which is the company I worked at at the time, you know, uh, fought those fights. Sometimes probably worse than I should have, but because I wanted to make something that people actually wanted to use.
0: And did you find out that you were actually good at it?
1: I think I think I found out that um,
0: I had a talent for it,
1: but I, if I look back on it, I certainly what I learned better than that I was good at it. Was that I was better at it by working with other people on it. You know what I mean? Like, my most successful things I worked on there were with people who complemented my talents. So, I had an art director there who was so good, one of my best friends to this day, actually. And, like, he and I could work together and see things from a different angle. and make ourselves better and smarter about things. I had bosses who had worked in other industries who weren't as, as technically or technologically proficient maybe as I was, or my friends, my friends were who were a little bit younger, but they brought a business acumen that I didn't have at the time um, and taught me that. And so like, you know, I was, again like I was 22, 23, like, like uh, I thought I was a shit and I certainly was not. I had an arrogance that I don't have anymore, but I had this arrogance because I worked in digital and thought I knew everything. And I knew some things and I was good at understanding how digital design worked, but I didn't understand how, you know, how the business world worked or how to, how to collaborate with people who had different talents. And that, that, that time at that consulting company taught me a lot about that, um, in a way that I, I certainly, you know, um, needed, uh, it also taught me how to work with clients and how to, <laughs> how to, um, communicate better without, assuming that people know the same things you do, because they often don't. They often bring things to the table that I don't. And so that, you know, that um that ignorance on my part, I think, uh uh was certainly something I, I needed to learn to become better at what I do.
0: Well, so then the the bubble burst, the nuclear winter happens and especially here in New York, you know, the 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 nuclear winter is happening in things like advertising and digital media and um so um how how do you uh sort of make your career out of the ashes of of what's going on at that exact moment
1: man uh so i left IXL and went to a company called digital club network that was um as a 24 25 year old was such a great job because we broadcast concerts from around the web for i'm uh, sorry around the world um every night online um and i was a huge music fan so I kind of ran the, the website part of that, uh, and, the, and the design and UX part of that for a year until they ran out of money because they had no business plan, but I kind of, you know, made some money doing that. And then, and then I got laid off, um, and started freelancing and, you know, um, freelancing can be its own beast. And luckily I had had this experience kind of continuing to be a journalist at the same time I was, I was doing, uh, UX stuff. And so I freelance wrote for a bit and, um, and, actually became like employee number one at an ad agency that I freelance for and then became an employee for. Um, that really helped me weather that storm, weather that nuclear winter, uh, doing a lot of work in advertising and marketing for media companies. So did a lot of work for Time Inc, um, for almost every publication there, and a lot of work for uh, liquor companies. So we did Penova cards, almost whole for polio, um, from McLenn-Livitt to Chivas Spiegel to Seagram's Gin, um, Martell, whatever. Um, and it was it's weird because on one hand I loved the fact that we got to be super creative and kind of sold in ideas around um whatever we wanted. I was like let's play, let's make this game with like Playboy and Shivas or let's um let's do a whole club experience from Martel. At the same time I, I hated the fact that like everything we were making wasn't product. we were just making things that were gonna be ripped down three months later. Uh but it also helped me learn a lot about how to scope things, how to understand what it really takes to build things, how to manage a team, how to build a team, like all the things you need when you start making products, whether you're a startup or you're an agency. Um, and that it's like this time where I it's kind of very sweet because I, it's not something I really enjoyed, but it's something I really need to do to get perspective. Uh, and I left that in 2000. Um, I would did that from like 2001 to 2000, I want to say six um, and in 2006, I left it and went to Razorfish, and started really doing product again. Right. And that's okay. when the web started rising up a, b- a bit more.
0: Right. Web 2.0 is coming, and and Razorfish, who we've had several Razorfish alumni on, it survived. Mm-hmm. Avenue. It combined with Avenue. I, I can never keep track of all of those uh, different things. Well,
1: what's funny? What's funny about that, Brian, is that like, so when I left IXL, I, I had this five year break, right, where I left and went to DCN, and then went to this place called Ron Warren, which is not gonna fly. And walked into Razorfish in March of 2006, and IXL had merged with Science, which then had got bought by an SBI, and I guess Razorfish was part of that. And then it all got spit out as Razorfish in like 2005 or 2006. So when I walked into Razorfish in March of 2006, it's the same people I worked <laughs> with five, five years before. Like literally, like I walked into like, I mean, a bigger company, but the best minds of the people I had worked with in 2001 are the same people I walked in and worked with in 2006. And it was like this, this homecoming. It was so wonderful and just embracing and happy. It was like walking to a happy place, you know?
0: Right. So, so then, uh, this is 2006, actually, uh, where's your LinkedIn March of 2006, according to your LinkedIn. Um, Mm -hmm. so this is when you first start to get to work on product specifically is it hulu that's the first one or are you starting to do other things before that so hulu was the last one
1: um ah. i worked uh at first on some stuff for ford I, we made a bunch of games for them um around uh or in, um i'm gonna say uh uh very uh immersive uh experiences for ford this i think is why they hired me because of the stuff i had done with the liquor companies um and then quickly moved into uh, a, a project with simon fuller uh, who was the uh, creator of American Idol and The Spice Girls mm-hmm. and whatnot? Um, uh, and then Hulu came along because the same team who had worked on that project with Simon Fuller uh, worked on Hulu, uh, which was its own, its own um, frustrating, but but you know, well, uh, I think
0: fun experience. Okay, wait, that's what we're here for. Um, yeah, exactly, I figured as much. So give us, give me, uh, and this is from your perspective, but. Um, your understanding of how the Hulu project uh, came into existence and then maybe also like how, how it came into your life and how you heard about it and, and got to work on it. Sure. Of
1: course. So I actually, it's funny. One of my new clients right now is my former project manager from Razorfish um, who, who managed Hulu. And we were talking about this the other day. Um, and he was going me his perspective on this. So apparently, and this is, I guess, this is a bit secondhand here, but uh, he he was telling me how the Razorfish wanted it, which was that they really wanted Razorfish. Like Razorfish was known for creating great experiences and great products, and I think that's part of the because of the work we had done with the New York Times, we had done with CNN, and and a lot of great media work. Um, but it was less of a pitch and more of a we want to work with you, let's figure out how to make this happen. My involvement on it uh, started with. Um, my former business partner, Kevin Carney, who was another UX lead and director at Razorfish, he and I had done iStars together, or whatever it was called at the time, which is just the same with um, Simon Fuller. And he was like, I want you to work on this with me. And there's like, and then I want the same team that worked on this music thing together. He's like, would you be interested in doing that? And I was like, "That sounds great. Uh, and it, the pro- Hulu is a two-part kind of um, conversation. Part one is is the first like four months, which is NBC and Fox executives are trying to help define what this is with a bunch of people who are, you know, used to making things in digital and a bunch of people who are used to making things in TV, and those things didn't really go together, and so you had a bunch of developers and designers and UX people and project managers and account people, so it's it's consulting, it's product people, whatever, and TV people, cool. and it was not. Um, I would say, a particularly, uh, a particularly, uh, I don't know, um, it was like oil and vinegar, I guess. Or, well, well, well I mean?
0: real, real quick, because I'm assuming, and I could be wrong about this, but this is in response to the rise of YouTube. YouTube happens, uh, people in TV and video and movies have seen the Napster example, and so all of these uh, big media companies say, this isn't going to happen to us, right? And then... But then at the same time, then you've got the whole uh, too many cooks in the kitchen designed by committee problem, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that
1: that YouTube certainly was a big factor. And and as soon as NBC and Fox announced that this was happening, you had sites like TechCrunch or any any number of of, um, of, of tech, CNET, whoever, covering this, uh, talking about these networks trying to create a YouTube killer. And... You know, that was the press, but that wasn't what we were talking about internally. Um, We certainly were not trying to create a YouTube killer. Uh, In fact, I would say, well, I can't speak for NBC and Fox, but I can say that the design team and UX team that was working on this were trying to figure figure out something that YouTube wasn't doing, which was how do you create an experience that is about people watching things for a longer period of time, right? Because YouTube was about watching things for two minutes or three minutes and we're talking about watching shows that are half an hour, an hour
0: long, right? Because so, again, I, is... I, I was, I was, I was running a, a, a an employment blog at the time, and th- like the big headline I remember us doing was like, "Okay, you can watch The Office at work now." In The Office, you can actually watch TV while you're at work, and like that was the big thing. Um, which seems silly to it now. We can watch anything we want, whenever we want, on whatever device we want. But like that was the. The big revelation: it wasn't YouTube; it was actual, real television, wherever you were.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny, and, and I don't want to get too much ahead of myself, but but what you just said is is exactly right. I mean, the mantra, or you know, the the kind of the I don't want to say the, the tagline or the logline that we thought about of for Hulu as we were designing it was. Exactly what you just said. Watch whatever you want, wherever you want, on whatever device you want. And you got to figure out, this was like 2007, right? So the iPhone was announced in January 2007. We started working on Hulu in, I want to say, like, March of 2007. So the iPhone's not been out yet. But, but we had the sense that, like, this is not about this short-form consumption. It's about, you know, this is a new way of watching TV. And on-demand was already a thing. Um, and just a little backstory, just why, why this is weird for me is, so my dad at the time owned a video store,
0: uh, <laughs>
1: in Western Massachusetts and, um, and you know, he, and, and this is the, you know, Netflix is, is obviously a huge thing at the time. Um, you could have cable on demand at the time, whether it be Comcast or Time Warner Well, or by whatever. the way, ne- Netflix and, is,
0: Netflix is a huge thing at the time, but still mostly as a DVD rental through the mail yeah. thing. Yeah. That's correct.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but the idea that, like, you know, the alternative to cable, the alternative to TV is becoming a bigger thing. And and also, a lot of networks already had streaming services. You could watch ABC online on ABC.com at the time. I mean, it was a terrible experience. It was a shit experience um, for a lot of reasons, technology aside, UX wise, whatever. But it existed and you could certainly do it. Um, so, so what happened, you know, was that we spent a good like or three or four months doing design by committee, like like you you mentioned. Um and the problem was that none of us really understood what consuming long form content was. And I look the early I, I still have these wireframes on my computer, like the early um designs and wires for Hulu were terrible um because we were looking at YouTube. And we were looking at the fact that it's not about what you're watching now. It's what you want to watch next, mm, right? Mm. You choose whole business is about watch the next thing. And that makes sense when you're looking at something that ends in, you know, 30 seconds or a minute and a half now, but when you're looking at an episode of law and order or whatever is, you're watching, you know, you, you don't want to watch next. You want to see this, you know, you want to watch this. And then, then, you know, when the credits start rolling, what are my next options if I want to watch something else? And, um, the good thing is like this is like over a decade later so we, we don't have to be political about it a lot of the ne- the a lot of the networking executives like, just had shit ideas because they didn't understand digital and they would come to us with ideas and me and kevin who was um the co-lead on this project for me um he and i uh would go to our project manager or our account manager and be like this is not a good idea this is a terrible idea and they'd be like well they're going to pay us extra money so you should just do it and we're like this is awful um and this led to a bloated product. You know, I think about product a lot, especially someone who helps launch products, and they were MVPs and first versions, and and you know, we just kept adding and adding and adding, and this thing was getting to a point where we're like, if this launches the way it is, a, it's going to make the internet a worse place, and b, all the tech blogs are just going to laugh at us until everyone else. And it was it was it was embarrassing what we had designed. Um, it got to a place where I forget what the number is, but the the wireframes for this thing were. You know somewhere in like the 150 to 200 page um uh deck of, of, of wires and then you had this prototype that was literally i wouldn't say it was a youtube knockoff I, I look at it now and there's still some really some things about it i really like but it definitely wasn't about engaging you it was it was trying to like get you to to watch the show while you're doing other things so you're you know trying to pop up video it by looking at trivia about it and Warriors, you looking at the cast or whatever it is. It wasn't about oh, uh, right. the know, whole VH1 I mean, pop-up
0: video thing. Right. 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 right.
1: Yeah. Like, like, let's make it interactive. Um, and, and that, and that wasn't right. It was totally not right. And, and what changed everything was when uh, NBC and Fox hired Jason Kalara to be the CEO of the company. Um, you know, I, I think Jason's a brilliant guy in many ways and I, I had my reservations cause he came from Amazon and I was like, but Amazon's not TV or Amazon's was video, right at the time. I think again, 2007. Um, but he understood digital, and there was, and that became really interesting because he he came in, and um, I remember he sat down and he talked to all the people on the NBC side and the Fox side and, and the Razor side. And he, I remember he had this like the stack of the wireframes, and he was like, "How do we get to this?" And Kevin and I at some point being like, you know he'll oh, tell you we were done. By the way, we were ready to quit our jobs. we were so embarrassed by what this looked like. We were just like, who the fuck cares anymore? And we're like, we'll tell you why. And we told him why everything that we he had in front of him was, you know, useless. Um, and he, I, I, I get he details with this wrong a bit, but I always want to say it's the next day, but I do think that's true. But like within a week, he basically got rid of the entire Razorfish team and got literally of the NBC and Fox team, or at least he was managing them himself and not with us, and, and made us all, me and Kevin and another designer of ours, or a friend of ours, a designer for ours, move to um, LA and start from scratch. And this is probably like late June, early July of 2007.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he was like, look, we're going to start over and we're going to get this thing done in eight weeks. So we had we had some some good ideas uh that were piggybacking up of research we had done uh and some of that research was that people wanted to be able to focus on their shows and you know, it's funny you said earlier you know oh we can watch tv at work now one of the things that we had thought about was the idea that people might be watching this at work and and this is actually something we had heard from research about people watching youtube at work which is that they had to always kind <laughs> of hide their browser from their boss and so we thought, well, what if you could pop the video out? So it would, like, lay it, it would be in the corner of your screen, and if you wanted to like, cover that quickly without having to worry about your browser, you could do that. And so that's where like, popping out the video came from. Um, we had bad ideas, like search. Um, one of the search things we came up with was, you know, we'll start, we're going to create a great search system that if like, you wanted to watch something new comedy, you, know, you could filter by type of comedy or actor or whatever, which makes a lot of sense except that Hulu launched with 25 shows, and with 25 shows, comedy aside, you know, filtering is useless. Um, another example would be, um, and this is actually my favorite example of anything we came up with, because it's such a, I think, a good UX solution and not a good business solution, but actually turns out to be one, which is towards the end of the design process, we were sitting in Jason's office, and it's me and Kevin, Eric Fang, who was the CTO, and Jason. And we would have these daily stand-ups just going over, you know, what are we working on today? Because we were working in sprints, And um, Eric was, if I remember this correctly, Eric was, like, trying to just check out a box. And, like, okay, so let's say someone comes in and searches for Lost. And at the time, we didn't have Lost, and Lost was a popular show. What do we show them? And the knee-jerk reaction in the room was... Well, we'll show them other sci fi things, Star Trek or whatever. And everyone in the room's like looking around at each other like, Yeah, that doesn't feel right because to go back to what we were talking about before, the the general kind of mantra around Hulu was watch what you want, when you want, where you want. And you know, like telling you to watch Star Trek here does not fit into any of those categories. And so we're like, What do we do? And um I I honestly don't remember who it was in the room who said it, but someone was like, "Well, what if we just told them to go to abc.com because where Lost was?" Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a moment, everyone in the room was like, "Huh," you know. Um, but we all agreed that that was the right idea. Like, if you want to come, if you want to watch TV online, who is the place to come? And so if you search for Lost and we don't have it, we should still be able to tell you where you can watch it. So the next time you want to watch something, you'll still come here. And you probably won't realize that you're going to ABC. We, we can design it in a way that says, yeah, go watch it at ABC.com. You click on the link, and we link you to that show, and you're at ABC, and everyone's happy. But who is the place you came to? And Jason embraced this entirely. He was like, yes, let's do that. We'll get it past the network for and we'll do it. And we did. And so when you watch Hulu, and you want to watch Lost, we, we we showed you to the right for us to watch it. And um, to me, that's like the most successful thing about the product i mean there's so many things i love about that product but i love the fact that like we we were able to do the right thing for the consumer and solve that problem for them and ever since then you know honestly that is like my favorite lesson i've learned for anything i've ever done since then i always think back to that like what is the right thing and can we make this a better business because we're doing the right thing for the consumer and the right thing is giving them what they want and helping them solve the problem and that that is to me the epitome of just that one thing—the search results for Hulu—that was uh, like a proud moment in, my like, you know, UX and, and I don't know, design history for me.
0: Well, also philosophically, it's not treating the user like an idiot because, okay, you don't have it. What are you supposed to do? Obfuscate? <laughs> you know, like pretend like you don't and 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 lie to them? No. If you don't have it, hey, we don't have it. Here's where it right. is. Like, it's not like they don't know it doesn't exist, you know? So, like, don't pretend like right. it doesn't exist.
1: And most of the time, they're going to go to Google anyways, let's be honest. Like, most – if you ever do any user research, the first place you will start is Google. So if you can get them to come to Hulu and even back then and, and, and search for a show, like, why not be be as transparent as possible? It just – in life, that's a good idea. And on the internet, it's always better to be transparent anyways, even with the show you're looking for. So, yeah, it was it was such a great – it was a great day. It was like It was a great, like – like I didn't want to be in LA. I didn't want to be there for. I was getting married at the time. Like I was, I, everything was miserable, and I was like, "I can. This is a win. This is an awesome thing," and it worked. Um, can Can I tell you one thing about um sure. about that uh, Hulu thing? Um, so I don't know. You, you work in in tech, and so you, you kind of understand this. Like, like no one knows what we do. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like no one understands what we do. And I just said before, my dad owns a video store at the time, um, and I go home for Christmas that year. So Hulu launched in like November, I think, or whatever it was. I go for Christmas and my sister, um, comes up to me and she's like, Danny, uh, you work in, you work in the internet. And I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, dude, I gotta tell you what this set I found. Oh my God. Um, I'm at work the other night and I want to watch my show. I, what it was. I watch my show and, and, uh, one of my other nurses, all my sisters are nurses, um, one of the nurses, um, point to the site and I could watch my show on like on the internet and I was watching it on, on like the on the browser there and like holy shit Danny like I I could watch it like have you ever heard of that and I was like um where are you watching it and she's like i was watching it at a site called Hulu. and I was like oh yeah I know I've, I've heard of it she's like damn it she's like I thought I thought I had it on you I thought I had it and, like, how did you hear of it I was like oh I, I made it <laughs> and she punched me so fucking hard in the shoulder she's like shut the fuck up no you didn't and I was like no I i did my friends and i you know i mean i didn't I don't own it I, I was hired i was paid to do it but yeah we made it and she's like so that's what you do <laughs> and i was like yep that's what i do <laughs> it was fun. like one of the it was such a fun like like only time in my life my family understands what i do it, it,
0: yeah and my, da- my dad my dad was happy by the way
1: my dad was like oh you made that cool
0: well, but it videos. it didn't it didn't strike his fancy. My dad didn't get the internet till he could buy his his seventy stereo equipment on eBay. Like, it, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, real yes. quick, two 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 quick questions about um, the that design process. Were you guys conceiving of mobile, and also were you guys conceiving of this on any screen? And the reason I'm asking is obviously. The reality that we're now living in, where you know, I expect to get Hulu on any TV I buy, on any uh, tablet I buy, on any anything I buy. So, uh, when you're designing this, were you designing with that sort of universe of screens in mind, or was that too early? Definitely too early.
1: I mean, you got to figure the iPhone was released in June of 2007. We moved to LA to do this in July of 2007. So. You know, YouTube did have a, an app on on the iPhone when it first launched. Um, and, but the idea that this would be a main consumption place, and the iPad wasn't out yet, three more years for that to happen, um, wasn't a consideration. Um, what's funny is that we were using the iPhone for so many things while we were there. You know, we were like, Living in L.A., we were in New Yorkers, so we'd know our way around. So the iPhone, like the like Google Maps at the time was the default application. We were just using that to get everywhere. Um, and so it became like, like such a good tool. But we didn't think about it. Like designing for mobile, it wasn't even a part of the conversation, to be honest with you. Um, I think that— Well, and think you know
0: that, what? Like, the, the reason yeah. that I'm, I'm asking that in this way is that uh, forget mobile. The the mm-hmm. the paradigm we're in now is that people are gonna watch it where they're gonna watch it right on whatever screen mm-hmm. and f- maybe even not a screen at this point you know we could be entering a world where they're watching it in VR or some stuff so sure. um, the idea of as you're designing media and and you were talking about how like well they threw out this team because it didn't work they didn't get digital like could you have conceived of the world that we live in where it's like. This has to translate the experience has to translate whether I'm on a tiny screen if I'm laying back on my couch if I'm on a train or whatever like what what are any sort of lessons that that from that design experience and from that time uh, maybe could take us to today
1: Well, what's funny is we certainly were thinking about the fact that you could be watching that on train or on um, on your laptop but that was that was definitely how we thought about it is that you're looking at this not on your TV but you're looking at it as a I don't know what you call it? like a two-foot experience whatever that would be um but here's what's really interesting at least i think it's interesting um in what we were wrong about when we launched it and this is something we found out i would say two years later or so uh, af- after we left razorfish we kevin and i started this company called Shell, but we started doing a lot of research in media and doing more eth- ethnographies and what we found in like 2009 or 2008, whatever, doing nose was that um, people were not watching Hulu on a two-foot experience. They were watching it on a 10-foot experience. So Hulu didn't want you to watch your – this is at the time. This is different now. But at the time, they they didn't want you to watch Hulu on your TV. They wanted you to watch it on your laptop or on your desktop, and that's what we were designing it for. But everyone we talked to in research – and this is like – I would say I don't know, it wouldn't be unanimous, but it would probably be like eighty percent of the people we talk to. And we're talking non tech board thing people. We're talking regular, you know, people in civil America who just happen to subscribe to Hulu. They were going to to believe this like a Radio Shack with their laptops being like, I want I I I signed up for Hulu, I want to watch it, but I don't want to watch it on my computer, I wanna watch it on my T V. How do I do that? And like learning how to like hook up, not that it's hard, but learning how to hook up with an HDMI cable or a VGA cable, um, their, their computers to their, their TVs so that they could watch Hulu or Netflix at the time also on the bigger screen. And this is like pre-Apple like TV being a big thing or whatever. And that was the most surprising thing to me was that at the time, forget about going small screen, people were still trying to take this thing to a big screen. And so the, like, the idea of, of pre-thinking how mobile was going to be a factor? It wasn't a mindset. It, I mean, we in anything we were designing, I would say 2007 to I don't even know 2010. Mobile was, and also not a yes or a priority. That has that shifted significantly. I would say 2008 2009 when the App Store became a bigger thing, um, and. As Twitter grew and 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 social grew, uh, where things were being clicked on to to watch, you know, on, on the web, but but no, I mean, I don't think any of us thought about it, it especially in designing it, because like it wasn't a part of our daily life. Um, I would say that big shift came in like 2009, 2010. You have all, you know, thousands of apps out there in 2009 at that point. Bigger things happening. And now, all of a sudden, smartphones because Androids out at that point, then then that shift really thought, you know, that that shift really came into thinking about design, uh, design right. That doesn't mean we weren't doing it before that, but but the consideration being a big factor for, you know, we worked on Juiced as well, which you know even then wasn't part of um, mobile thinking. I, yeah, I think when I think when we were working on SNL in like two thousand eight, maybe that was we started thinking about mobile. I know we did mobile designs for that, but in Fallon, definitely in like two thousand nine. But yeah, nothing like nothing before that for sure which was it a big a big part of it.
0: I, I do want to talk about your, your comedy stuff, but uh real quick, uh Foursquare because mm-hmm. uh designing like that to me is an example of a company that almost conceptually has changed what it was many times in its existence. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, just real, uh, tell me the work that you did with Foursquare and, and maybe sort of any, uh, philosophical or conceptual lessons there.
1: Well, I would say, if I can start the conceptual lesson uh, or design lesson there is, <laughs> is the idea that you, you really can't chase your competitors. You have to embrace your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dennis, Dennis is a founder you know, he had a vision. He had, Dennis, you know, I think he's grown, grown in what he wants and wanted Foursquare to be. But what I think he would, he tried to start with Dodgeball, which was a, a mobile um, product before, you know, smartphones existed where you would text in, hey, I'm at this bar, and it would go out to your friends who were also part of Dodgeball. It was obviously the basis of Foursquare. You know, he really wanted that social gaming thing to be a thing. So for us, you know, working with him, was to translate that vision to make it better. My experience of Forceware was twofold also. Uh, one was that before Forceware ever launched, there was a beta of it or maybe an alpha of it in New York uh, really, really early on before they launched at South by Southwest in 2009. So like maybe December to March in 2009, at Disney 2009, where we were just, it wasn't designed. It was something that him and Naveen were doing and just pounding it uh, just to find the bugs, you know, like, like they were, they were really trying hard to get it out there for South by, um, our design chops came in, you know, after South by after they got some funding. Uh, it's really funny. Cause they, we, I was Kevin who I had mentioned before and I w- had worked at Hulu had, um, had formed a company at that point called hard candy shell that we started in, in 2007, right after Hulu project ended at and um, Dennis was a friend of ours. And, they, uh, we were sharing, it was a great office. We were sharing office space with Curbed Eater Racked, which was that network, and then Harkin Michelle and then Foursquare moved in. And um, they were like, we were giving them desk space. You know, it was just Dennis, Mabeen, and Harry. And um, they got funding finally, I think, from from Fred Wilson or whoever initially funded them. and uh, And they hired us to really, you know, bump up their UX, bump up their design, to be a little bit more professional, because they were using like iOS native stuff before. And the biggest, so the biggest lesson of that project was that was was trying to focus Dan, because Dennis was dealing with a tremendous amount of pressure. Like he had, you know, I think, what was a bit, but it, but was it fast company or one of the companies had put him on the cover as like the new king of social media, mm-hmm. and um and he, he he was growing a team. And our job wasn't just to be designers for him, it was to be you know, people who he could he could fall back on, and not fall back on in a bad way, like, like who could, he could rely on and who he could listen to and he could calm them down, because he was doing a ton of stuff. And so what would ha- was Guala launched at the same time at South By and Guala was basically the same type of premise, which is I could check in here and tell my friends where I'm going. And uh, it looked like you know, what do we do? Like, do we compete with them directly? Like, they had certain features that Foursquare didn't have and vice versa. And um, our job was really to focus in on, like, what is the Foursquare vision? And if anything, that helped make our design process better. Like, in the end, it was all about simplicity, like, make it easy to check in, make it easy to find the places, make it easy to find friends. Th- that stuff, I don't want to say it was rote, but it was, certainly, um, it was certainly easier than... than ensuring that we didn't have some weird feature creep and scope creep that we could have gotten into because of of worrying about the competition. Um, and that's not to discount the work we did on foursquare. I'm really excited about the design stuff. And Mari, who is the designer on that, it was brilliant on everything she did. Um, but I do think it was about, that's really you and this train you in and make sure that we're, we're really focusing on what you need to have in this V, whatever, 1.1 or 2.0, we want to call it, um, uh, to make this product great uh, and I and I think you know he he embraced that quite a bit and, and as they grew their team, you know they did they did too um, but yeah I think to me that was the biggest product lesson uh, and I'm not trying to like discount the work the work is is great and it was part of that product for you know what two years or whatever it was but um the hard part was making sure that we really focused on on making the right choices for Foursquare as opposed to you know making it more complicated than
0: it needed to be. Um, the the comedy work, you, you know, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, Saturday Night Live, now we are in the era of uh, not only mobile, but, but, but things going viral and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Are there um, any design lessons there in terms of either virality or maybe this even brings us into the modern era of consuming clips and content and things like that?
1: Well, I always think that, you know, when it comes to content, design kind of has to get out of the way. Does that make sense? Because um, we do a lot of work in media, and SNL and Fallon being, being no exception, like, you have to let the content be the hero. Um, and and that's true in, in fashion, too. Like, anything where people are, like, trying to focus on something that they, they're excited about, and it's certainly rarely your design. You know, it's about that sketch that SNL did or that um, dressing you want, you want to wear or whatever. And with SNL, you know, our thing was about let people find the content they want that they're excited about. Uh, so you'll never see the stuff that we did online um, for SNL, but you, if you download the app, the, the information architecture that the UX of it is exactly the same. Um, which I think is thanks to Gavin Purcell, who was the producer for This night Show for a while, but he uh, he worked with us a lot in SNL stuff and helped make that happen. And with SNL, and this is what's great about viral video, is that if you want to go find the thing that was on SNL on Saturday night, let's make it easy for you to find. But if you want to go find that video of Lazy Sunday from, whatever it was, was it 2005 maybe? Like 14 years ago? You can go find that. If you want to go find um, something that happened in the 80s, we can help you do that. Um, It's all, and, and, and I think what we learned with SNL and Fallon as well is like, let's, 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 let's be twofold our design. Let's on one hand, let you find those things. And then let's be serendipitous too. Cause comedy is so, can be so serendipitous. And with Fallon, it was about, let's create an app that showcases the show, but gives you its own experience. Um, we had a whole thing with the app we designed that was about Fallon, Jimmy Fallon's phone where you could have like, really like little mini apps inside of it that could be their own special talent experience. The S N L stuff it was, you know, La Lauren Michael says that uh he can tell how old you are by who your favorite SNL um uh actor is or right, cast member. Right. Or.
0: Cast member, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, when I remember sitting across with him and talking about this and I was probably thirty let's say thirty or thirty three at the time, and the guy next to me was like twenty five. I think I think my favorite cast member may me have been like Dana Carvey or something. And the guy next to me's favorite cast member was like Will Farrell and he's like, um, okay, you're, you graduated high school in '93. Yeah, I was '94, but he was close <laughs> enough. And uh, and he was spot on, you know. And so like design like my I think the accessibility there is saying you know you have a vast audience so you have to make this accessible for virality or not, and um that 's true in entertainment that 's true in news that 's true in anything uh you have to understand your audience and how you're gonna how you 're going make it relevant to them you know and and that 's not just true in a home screen of an app that's true in however someone's going to ask something to put you online.
0: Um, so to wrap up, uh, your uh, charming robot still you're still doing this stuff today at Charming Robot, and and by the way, mm-hmm. um, doing this sort of design stuff for friends of the pod like uh, Rafat Ali at Skift, um, mm-hmm. uh, we work. Also, by the way, the, the thermometer Kinza got. Yep. <laughs> I have two kids. Have I, a, I know the Kinza. Yes,
1: Kinza on the pod. Kinta, no, no. I'm just or, saying. Oh, oh,
0: I've no. used the hell out of some Kinsas over the last four
1: years. Oh, I love that you keep naming things that we have equity in. I mean, we we own part of Kinsa. We own part of uh of uh, um, skipped. I wish I own part of WeWork. <laughs> um, man, uh, Kinsa, God, I I gotta tell you, man. I don't, I don't know if you like, Kensha is one of my favorite things I've ever worked on in my life, hmm. and it's not the most famous thing in the world, but it is by far the the project that I'm. We should one let of people know I'm this most, is most a this of. is
0: a thermo this is a digital thermometer. Uh for, for little kids, essentially.
1: Yeah, and, and I my my kid uses it too and gosh, you know. Uh can I tell you that story quickly? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Um when, so when Inder came to us, this is probably I wanna say it was late two thousand twelve or late two thousand thirteen, I forget the exact year, but um they had a breadboard of the thermometer and, and like a thermometer with like a baggie. Uh over that so you know you could take the temperature Let me let me interrupt in. real quick.
0: I said digital sure. thermometer. What I mean is this is a thermometer that is digital that it also will connect to your smartphone. And so when your yes. six month old is whatever, whatever, you can get the reading, you can compare it to well at three AM it was this and like it keeps track. Like it, it it literally is a fantastic product. But sorry, go on. I just like, wanted to you. No, so that people can that understand so what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, like that like ah uh, makes like my heart grow like three sizes two more too much more like uh um yeah so they came to us with this idea and this prototype and the whole idea when we first launched it was to help young parents deal with the stress of of understanding what their child illness might be and and you're a parent as well i am as well i wasn't at the time um but you know when you're a parent your child is sick whether they have a, the snipples or they have the flu or something worse, like you don't know. And, and, and just taking their temperature is a stressful situation. And that's one of the things we were trying to solve or India was trying to solve and we were trying to help them with. And um, really, like, how do we do that? And so originally it plugged into your iPhone um, headphone jack. And um, what we were trying to figure out a few things. One was how do we calm the parent down? And the second thing was how to calm the kid down. And so we went through all these, you know, brainstorms where we're like, okay, as a parent, y- you really care about the results. Like telling me that my kid has a 99.3 degree temperature does mean zero good. I don't know if that's good or bad. Because by the way, n- 98.6 is, is the average. That's not what that's like. We all are 98.6 degrees. It's like everyone has a different average temperature. So when I only need context, do i need to call the hospital. Need to do something else. Like what do I what do I do? At the same time, taking your temperature of the kid is tough because they don't want the thermometer in their mouth or in Kinsa's case, under their armpit or in their butt. And that is something that Kinsa does. You can go in any of the horses mm-hmm. that you need to do. Um and that's by the way, designing for that's interesting too. But but we had to figure out how to distract the kid. And so we had to create this interface that we had the sound design, visual design, we do have a branding and naming him so as well, like make this feel like a warm embracing product that parents and kids could both do. And uh, it makes me so happy to know that you use it because, you know, that, that was the the, bar, the the barometer of success, you know, was like, can we, can we do that? And, and now, you know, it's been five years or so. We The goal initially was to do that. And the bigger goal was to map the health of the world. And five years later, you know, we, we are in schools all over the country. We are in, CVS and Walgreens and Amazon, and we're not just helping parents individually. We're, we're, um, we're able to tell people like, Hey, in your school, you know, in fifth grade, this particular class has, you know, stress throat going around. Um, And, and you have a kid in fifth grade and you've a kid in third grade, third grade's fine, fifth grade's not, you might want to keep your kid home or whatever it is. And that to me is like, so, the beauty of the internet it's so everything we've been working for with data and design to be a friendly place where we're like, we can, we can use technology to help you in that small moment where you need to know what to do, should you call the hospital, should you call a nurse, should you just put your thing to bed. And those big moments where it's like, oh, you know, there's a, an infestation of, of lice or no, lice is not a good example, well, of a strap or the flu. In a school and in, in a, or a district, and, and Kinsler, I think, has has been able to do both those things. And gosh, man, like, like, I I could not be more excited for them and more excited to be a part of of that team um, than than anything else. Like, like, it may not be a household name yet, maybe it is, but like, Hulu went the right way They're great, and I love them. But that's the thing. Like, you know, you're making a difference when you know it's helping people on that level.
0: Well, it, it's also you're, you're talking about how it's technology, and I agree that it's it's technology making the world better. But um, <clears throat> that's also a testimony to why design is so powerful, because anyone well, not anyone, but you can always make a, a better mousetrap or a, a design a better widget or something. But then, yeah, it, it takes extra work to then design it to make it applicable and useful and delightful and you know hopefully world changing and things like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: Um, so that's a beautiful place to, to, to leave it. Um, Dan Macaron, thanks for, thanks for remembering all that for us. And, and again, like ending with like a really powerful <laughs> a treatise on, on why design can, can, can change the world. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please support us by subscribing to the podcast so you can get great news stories and conversations every two weeks. And please buy the book that was based on this podcast. How the Internet Happened, from Netscape to the iPhone, by me, Brian McCullough. Order it now, wherever books are sold, How the Internet Happened. And if you weren't aware, I host a daily tech news podcast every weekday that comes out at 5 p.m. In that show, I tell you what happened that day in the world of tech. It's only 15 to 20 minutes long, and it's great if you love tech news. Search your podcast app for Ride Home to find the show. It's called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Thanks.